Welcome to IO Talks, your source for real talks with real builders in the blockchain and IoT industry. I'm your host, Larry. Today's IO Talks is all about the past, present, and future of streaming. The streaming industry is barely a decade old, but is already valued at over $20 billion. Whether you're binging Netflix shows, streaming live TV and esports events, or video chatting with loved ones, streaming has become part of our daily lives. So how did this all happen, and how can blockchain and IoT push streaming to greater heights? We discuss this and more with our guests, Timothy Lee and Wes Levitt from Theta Network. Please enjoy. Hey guys, how's it going? Welcome to IO Talks. Today we have a very special guest, Theta Network. Uh, Theta is disrupting the online video streaming industry. They're using a decentralized peer-to-peer network that offers improved video delivery at lower costs using tokenized bandwidth sharing. Today we're going to talk about the past, present, and future of streaming. So let's start with uh, Wes and Tim to do some short introductions. Sure. Sure. Hey, I'm Wes, uh, head of strategy at Theta Labs, um, and take lead on kind of general business strategy, marketing, and and um, anything as it relates to the Theta token itself. Um, my background's in real estate and finance originally, but uh, got very deep into the blockchain space while I was at Berkeley a couple years ago uh, with their awesome blockchain scene, um, and started working with the Theta team a couple years ago, uh, a little bit prior to the launch of Theta Token. That's 10 years in crypto years. But yeah, right. Two years you, you, the age weighs on you. <laughs> yeah. How about you, Tim? Uh, I'm Timothy Lee, head of platform at Theta Labs. So job responsibilities include everything from overseeing the project uh, product roadmap uh, to doing integration work with our partners, corporate partners especially. Mm-hmm. Um, so everything from uh, talking to them, pitching to them, sourcing them, and then engaging them with proof of concept projects. And then uh, working with our engineers, working with uh, Wes and the marketing team uh, to really hone in uh, what the messaging is and how we're going to roll out these, uh, these partners onto our platform. Very cool. So yeah, during today's session, we're going to talk about all things platform, all things marketing, all things data, and all things streaming. So you know, just to kick it off with some basics about streaming for maybe some beginner listeners. What is streaming, and how would you explain it to uh, kind of a beginner? Sure. So video streaming basically is you're um, downloading video files from the internet, and then you have a video player. So your video player is basically piecing together uh, short fragments or short uh, segments of video uh, in order. So a good example is when you're watching a YouTube video, right? Your, your red bar and your red dot is moving along and that's your playback speed. But then you'll have this, you'll notice this gray bar that's you know, moving ahead of the red one, which is basically it's, the player is downloading these video segments ahead of the playback, the video playback. And um, you're basically just downloading it and then you're watching your video from there. So that's various forms of uh, video streaming as well. There's live streaming, video on demand. Uh, so different form factors of uh, video streaming, if you will. Right. Yeah, so just in the past decade, I mean, I'm sure we all remember back in our day when we were in high school or something, none of this existed, right? So this industry has kind of blossomed um, very, very quickly. We're going from like days of buffering Real to player. 4P video, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. All the way now to streaming on like HD data. On yeah. Home. So yeah. kind of walk us through how that evolution happened. I definitely say that the internet infrastructure has definitely improved as well. Um, so basically right now when you hit a video on Netflix or YouTube, 
uh, they use these content delivery networks. Yeah. Um, so they're called CDNs for short. Um, and so how these CDNs work is they're literally building physical infrastructure all over the world, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they have uh, these ISPs also have undersea cables so that basically the internet from continent to continent is you know, streamlined and is fast enough. So basically what these CDNs do, they're building these POPs called points of presence mm-hmm. closer to uh, large demographics of, of users that need to watch video. Um, so they cache the popular video content there and then so when you hit the stream, you don't, you don't have to wait for it to load. Right. There's no latency. There's no buffering issues like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. It's just a smooth playback uh, experience, right? right. Um, so that's mostly what uh, we've been seeing in developed countries. But the problem is in developing regions of the world, like, say, South America, Eastern Europe, Africa, those areas, uh, the CDN infrastructure is not fully built out enough, right? So you could say that the points of presence are not present enough to serve all those users, right? So that's kind of how the the last mile delivery problem happens. Mm -hmm. Those users will experience these playback issues, these latency and bandwidth issues. Right. So that's definitely the tech size. The more pops, Mm -hmm. the more, uh, I guess... Uh, you're kind of bound by this like concept of the speed of light, right? You can only travel mm-hmm. so far and so fast. Right, the right. The closer you are to the pop, uh, easier it is. But I guess on the, the non-tech side too, like what kind of advancements have been made? Uh, like big investments from you know the Google, Facebooks, and the telcos of the world. Mm-hmm. How has that kind of shaped the industry? Yeah, like the, it, it's definitely a big piece of it. I've, it's hard to remember now YouTube before Google, but if yeah. you actually back, it was a relatively small site in the scheme of things. Yeah. Um, before they actually had the the money behind them to invest in the infrastructure necessary to where anyone in the world could be creating this user generated content yeah. and distributed to uh, you know more or less anyone that wants to watch it so right. it, it didn 't happen overnight. it obviously is incremental, although um, you definitely saw it kind of uh, the the rate speeding up once the large players start getting into the space yeah. yeah. And Netflix's, the Netflix's, the YouTube's, the Amazon's of the world, mm-hmm. they've all built out their dedicated infrastructure to right. deliver video, right? Mm-hmm. The problem is with mid-size and smaller video uh, platforms, right? Yeah. They don't have that dedicated infrastructure right. to actually, um, to even scale to that extent, right? So that's where a lot of the problems come in. That's a really interesting yeah. point. So like these smaller and medium-sized players that, you know, have great content to share <laughs> but don't have that infrastructure to maybe match the user experience of these larger players. Right. Like how do they compete today? Is it kind of they license that infrastructure from the bigger players? Yeah, yeah. Frequently it's it's not that they can't have access. It's just that it's not nearly as economical for them. Okay. Um, and that's even more so a problem for uh, as you get to be a smaller platform like Sliver TV as we're starting out. Yeah. Um, you know, we can talk a little bit more about that, but that was a big pain point for us. Is that we're certainly not getting the the unit economics that um, a Google or a, or a Netflix is getting when it comes to video delivery costs. Right, and that must be part of the reason why you know Sliver kind of created Theta to uh, manage a lot of that you know uh, data delivery and things like that. But you know, before we dive into Sliver mm-hmm. and Theta, you know, some household names in streaming. You mentioned YouTube. There's also Twitch and Mixer and Sliver TV, which mm-hmm. is uh, a they're all streaming platforms. Mm-hmm. So how are these kind of differentiated? Like if, if I was a content creator today and I wanted to push my, my content out there, mm-hmm. uh, how would I choose between kind of some of the incumbents today? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it, just kind of with the big players, uh, at least in the Western markets, Twitch and YouTube are obviously the, the, the largest players by far. Mm-hmm. Um, Twitch originally had a gaming background or focus, even though they're moving a little bit more into kind of generalized stream. But yeah. 
it, it tended to be YouTube was the place to go because you want to go where users are, right. whereas Twitch was a little bit more specialized. Yeah. Um, both of those tend to be sort of what we call more passive experiences in that uh, you just watch content and yeah. that's it. Um, Sliver TV, which is, by way of background, our esports platform mm-hmm. that led to the uh, growth of Theta Labs, um, we try to differentiate by making a much more interactive experience. Right. And you guys do like surveys or like even polls, like who's going to win this trivia match? question. Yeah, yeah exactly. Get crates and stuff are winning. Yeah, it really helps the engagement of the viewers, right? Yeah, and it's it's one thing to just have something like that, like a poll you can participate in. But what really gets interesting is the streamers themselves, the content creators, mm-hmm. you know, use that as a way to to directly engage with the users constantly. So it's always something where like. Um, they can actually, users can even direct them how they want to play the game. Like, they'll take a poll of, yeah. how should I play this next match? What weapon loadout should I use if I'm playing Counter-Strike? That kind of thing. Right. And so, so it makes them feel more part of the experience. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's a much different experience than if you're just having this one way. You're just um, taking content that someone created and you just watch it. Yeah. So that's, that's the main reason why we differentiate. Yeah. Definitely. That's cool. I'd say also for streaming platforms, it's not just uh, uh, confined to user-generated content like mm-hmm. your YouTubes and Twitches of the world, right? You also have Disney. They're coming out with their own streaming platform, right? right. Um, they're moving all their content onto this dedicated platform, right? Mm-hmm. All the Star Wars, all, all the Marvels of the world. Yeah. Um, you have uh, Pluto TV and Tubi TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, they actually are licensing a lot of really popular content, and then they're just giving it out for free in return for watching ads. Right. Um, you have Amazon Prime Now and Netflix, which are subscription video on demand services. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are all great examples of video streaming, which is just video delivered over internet, right? And right. Uh, these are all use cases that, um, you know, the underlying thing is that they need this dedicated infrastructure to deliver their video streams for them. Right. Yeah. That's awesome. So let's switch gears now to talking more about Sliver and Theta. So uh, for those that don't know, you know, mm-hmm. Sliver founded Theta Labs and, you know, Sliver. Uh, had previous partnerships with Samsung VR, mm-hmm. as Wes mentioned, more focused on the esports to start with. But uh, mm-hmm. from your own words, can you talk to us about you know what Sliver is, what the goals are, and kind of how Theta connects to that. Yeah, yeah. So Sliver um, Sliver TV was founded in late 2015, early 2016, mm-hmm. um, as an esports streaming site focused on VR content. So live events where they have VR cameras actually placed in these esports tournaments. Uh, both in the arena and in-game, where they'd actually be rendering the game environments in 3D mm-hmm. uh, or in VR, um, which was very successful from a technical perspective, but it ran into an issue where it's simply there's not enough adoption of VR headsets in the gear associated with it. Yeah. So it's just, it, it was a, it's a great accomplishment, but it's a little early. Right. Um, so one thing that it branched out to is just kind of a more generalized esports streaming platform mm-hmm. with the differentiator being these interactive elements, right. which is how we compete against uh, the Twitches of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but a pain point we realized pretty early on is what we were talking about earlier is yeah. we don't get the same CDN rates that a big platform does, not even close to it. Yeah. So you know our, our expenses, maybe 40% for a given month, maybe CDN costs, which is... Mm-hmm. You know, astronomical for a startup yeah. to be paying that kind of money for uh, for cloud services, that kind of thing. Right. Um, so, you know, thinking through a way to solve that point, we were talking with uh, W. Wan, who at the time was on our board as part of um, DHVC being the lead investor in our Series A. Um, and obviously with her uh, significant background in blockchain and distributed systems, she had the idea that if there's a way we can defray some of this cost by creating a, a distributed network, 
uh, to all these users, you can solve that pain point. Right. It actually makes a lot of sense for uh, our use case because esports is a pretty, um, it's, a, it's a global phenomenon, of course, everyone knows, but um, it, it tend to be pretty distributed in certain areas, like Mitchum mentioned, or Tim had mentioned in Eastern Europe, there's large pockets of users that are mm-hmm. dedicated fans of this given streamer or this game. Yeah. So it actually makes sense to take advantage of those um, those clustered users and allow them to share video amongst them peer to peer. You know, it kind of has already the the characteristics you need to have a good peer to peer network kind of built into it. Right. Um, and so that was the genesis of the idea of the Theta network: is how can we deliver video to these uh, groups of users in a peer to peer fashion, rather than us paying CDN costs to deliver the same video ten times to ten different people, yeah. all in the same city. Right. That, that makes sense from a goals perspective. So how does that translate for the platform design? Yeah, so I think it's really interesting, right, um, to have Sliver TV as kind of the first dApp. Think of it as the first mm-hmm. dApp, if you will, on top of the entire Theta infrastructure, which yeah. is the blockchain protocol. Mm-hmm. Um, in that way, we get to, you know, we have 2.5 to 3 million MAUs, monthly active users, mm-hmm. on our platform. So it's a substantial platform with real-world users. Yeah. And, and so that way, we're able to actually see how our blockchain scales up. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a lot of these insights and lessons learned that we first test on, or you know, using Sliver TV kind of as a testbed platform. Yeah. Uh, and then we can take a lot of these insights and then apply them to our other corporate partners partners mm-hmm. that are also developing these dApps or have these platforms that they can come over and port over mm-hmm. as dApps on the Theta protocol itself. Right. Um, so I'd say, you know, like what Wes mentioned earlier, peer-to-peer is not new, right? It's been around for the past 20 years. The thing that we think is really innovative that Theta Protocol has done is we've been able to port this peer-to-peer layer on top of a blockchain, mm-hmm. right? So in that sense, um, for every video segment that is sent and relayed in between this mesh network, mm-hmm. we're appending it with one micropayment, right. and that's recorded on the blockchain as well. Um, and so when that happens, you're able to allow your users to earn token rewards for their actual contributions yeah. to the network. Whereas in the past, uh, peer-to-peer was maybe associated more with counterfeit uh, content or piracy and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Now you're able to you know, kind of incentivize the users to actually contribute their resources um, and then it makes it actually into a legitimate use case and then a legitimate business that other uh, you know, video platforms can come and utilize our, our our technology and our infrastructure and build on top of it. Definitely, it's almost taking mm-hmm. kind of like the the Amazon Web Services model, where they kind of built it as an internal use, and then once it was ready, kind of licensing it out to. Uh, more and more parties. Yeah, yeah that's exactly right. We definitely eat our own dog food. So, yeah. like when we co- go to our corporate partners and we say, "These are the things that we've learned, and these are the things that we've liked, we'd like to explore with you." There's actually some substance behind that, right? right. Yeah, well, that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like presenting the proof of concept, but not just like a small proof of concept. Like this is a thriving ecosystem with three million active users. So it kind of proves out the point when you need to make those. Enterprise deals. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's always a more effective pitch when we can, instead of saying, "Here's some mock-ups of it," or "Here's an idea of how we think it would work." Yeah, we say, "Let's just fire up Sliver right now, and you can see on your laptop right now, you can start earning tokens. You can yeah. see how you can use them back on the platform." Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very effective. Yeah. So, uh, you guys started Sliver first. You said uh, late 2015, early 2016. So. Yeah. So walk us through kind of like that, that light bulb moment. You, you mentioned like um, conversation with Dovey from Primitive mm-hmm. and um, maybe what, what are the kind of things really uh, made you take that dive? Because this is a pretty big departure from, um, you know, just being a streaming company to also providing that streaming bandwidth. So 
Yeah. Talk us through the, the thought process and why it was a, a good move. I think a big part of what our company does, like the company ethos is, you know, we're pretty much on the cutting edge, right? Yeah. Like serving a user base that's also young, you know, males 18 to 30 years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, so our user base was is ready to kind of, you know, experiment with and, and adopt disruptive technology, right? Mm-hmm. So we thought this is kind of the perfect user demographic to test something or to utilize uh, a new technology on, right? Yeah. So at that time, like Wes mentioned, uh, blockchain was just coming to the forefront, right? And, you know, you look at all these use cases and all these value propositions that blockchain technology can give us. Mm-hmm. We said, hey, you know, we should really trust, uh, you know, trust what our VC is saying and then test it out, like this decentralized approach yeah. where you're allowing users to earn these tokens. We, at that time, already had a virtual currency that, that was being used on our website yeah. um, to, you know, users could earn it by answering trivia, by getting loot boxes and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So we said, you know, if we were able to, you know, underpin this virtual currency um, with, you know, actual technology and allow users to earn these Theta tokens on top of it for contributing their their resources, then why not do that, right? Yeah. And I think it's uh, you know that hypothesis, initial hypothesis that we had, really worked out well. Yeah. Um, the user demographic that we've had kind of overlays and has a lot of overlap with uh, the crypto community. Yeah, like over the past few years, maybe you know, talk about the journey from you know starting th- uh, Sliver to now um, starting Theta, mm-hmm. and um, from kind of that past to that present view. What, what was that yeah. like? It's certainly, uh, it, it, there's a very big difference between running a company that's a private esports streaming company and one that has, uh, you know, I, I think the big difference, besides just jumping into to blockchain technology, one with a, a traded token. Yeah. You know, it's a whole other world, as you, as you know from your experience with IOTechs. Yeah. Um, but, you know, our, our, our team is, is pretty tight-knit, and a lot of us had background in the blockchain space. Mm-hmm. Our CTO, JE, uh, did a lot of his graduate research in distributed systems, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it w- it was kind of a just a great fit that our team was suited to to be moving into that, mm-hmm. and as Tim was mentioning, it solved a lot of problems that we had. Mm-hmm. It didn't feel like we were forcing anything because the more we dug deeper about um, the idea of launching Theta, we realized how many much easier it was going to make our lives as a as a, as a company because it yeah. was so well suited to it. Like we mentioned, um, cutting out CDN costs for us, which is a problem, but mm-hmm. it goes beyond that. Like um, we had a huge problem with the virtual currencies we have, where users would buy with credit cards, mm-hmm. and we'd have fraud and chargebacks right. to the point where, at one point, we had hired a specialist just to uh, fight credit card fraud on a virtual crazy. currency because wow. it was be yeah. such a big problem. And we realized there's people out there who all they will do is look for exploits to do that. So. Yeah. Um, moving to something like crypto where it's a bearer asset and there's no chargebacks, that even by itself right. uh, caused uh, or solved so many problems for us. Right. And allows us to actually have uh, smaller margins for our users because mm-hmm. unlike a lot of businesses, we don't have to build in a margin for fraud because right. we know we're actually going to receive the crypto assets. Not that. to mention the, the margin for credit card transactions as well, yeah. which I think is like 2.5%. Yeah. yeah. So, That's I mean, right. all of these small incremental costs are adding up in, you know, in the long term. Yeah, mm-hmm. yes, definitely um, from the user's perspective, all those things are super important too. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Awesome. So we talked a lot about the past, now let's talk about more about the present. Sure. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I just did a quick Google search about you know, issues with streaming today. Mm-hmm. What came up with is uh, the current streaming models are low quality video, high cost of infrastructure, as you guys mentioned, and also putting a lot of blame on an in- inefficient centralized ecosystem. So what do people mean by 
uh, this centralized ecosystem within streaming and who are kind of the players that they're talking about. So you mentioned like CDNs, ISPs, uh, internet service providers, and people that kind of operate these pops. But like mm -hmm. who are the, well, what's the full circle of uh, uh, hierarchy in streaming? Yeah, the full circle is, I could talk through like how video is delivered, right? Mm -hmm. um, all the way from you have one piece of content, right? And then it gets ingested mm -hmm. into a server, and then the server will basically transcode it so that you have different uh, qualities of, of uh, this video stream, right? Mm -hmm. And then you send it over to the content delivery network uh, with its you know, vast physical infrastructure, and then those video streams are all cached uh, at different qualities, right? Mm -hmm. And then depending on your internet connection, depending on uh, what your bandwidth is, then uh, the content delivery network will choose the appropriate, um, uh, you know, uh, bit rate basically mm -hmm. to, to stream the video at right and then it'll adjust up and down based on your internet connection yeah. um, so you know all the, the the bigger players are all the centralized ones like Akamai uh, Amazon CloudFront there's Cloudflare uh, Google probably has their own CDN <laughs> and those as well. are kind of the CDNs and transcoders are they together or are they kind of separate entities? yeah I think it's uh, a lot of them have become full stack now right so they mm -hmm. handle ingest they handle transcode and then the last part is uh, d delivery as well right yeah, so the, the layer that we're sitting in is basically uh, uh, delivery and especially last mile delivery, mm -hmm. right? So uh, the, the issue I mentioned earlier, especially for developing countries, is you know there are just a lot of users on the very edge yeah. you know, that aren't able to get that same quality of service that uh, other users would get in a fully built out CDN uh, infrastructure right. area, right? Um, so... You know, this is literally edge computing and edge redistribution of resources mm -hmm. uh, where you're basically delivering to one person on the edge and then they're basically able to proliferate this data and this video stream to others in their area as well. That's yeah. interesting. I never knew that. So like it's you have maybe like four or five versions of a video all the way from two forty P to ten eighty P. Right. Yeah. And like when you all of a sudden get hit with some buffer, then it's gonna jump to another track yeah kind of. so that's why you might see kind of like a decrease in your video quality yeah. because basically your player if it has installed out and started buffering it kind of knows that you know it's adjusting for the internet connection mm -hmm. and then it you know it might you know give you more pixelated video right yeah so mm -hmm. that's kind of like the centralized model so mm -hmm. talk to us about the decentralized model like uh do the players change or are some of those middlemen in like full stack cdns even removed from the equation? What does that kind of ecosystem look like? That's a really good question. And the answer to are they removed is no, right? Because I think you could call it like a misconception of a lot of these uh, crypto projects right now and they're going for full decentralization. Yeah. Um, that's not what our approach is, at least. I think we have a more pragmatic and uh, measured approach, which is we're telling our corporate partners, hey, you know, you can keep your existing infrastructure, you can keep your existing CDN right now. We're not asking you to swap that out and replace us, right? Yeah. Um, you know, maybe somewhere down the road, 15 to 20 years, uh, when our mesh network gets completely built out, right? Mm -hmm. Hopefully, you know, like, you know, millions and, you know, hundreds of millions of users will be in the data mesh network. And at that point, it makes sense to be the de facto delivery, content delivery network, right? Mm -hmm. a, de a fully decentralized one. Right. But, you know, in order to gain adoption, especially from these enterprise and corporate partners, mm -hmm. that's not a viable avenue to, to go down on day one, right? Yeah. So we're saying right now, keep your existing infrastructure and the theta layer will go on top of it, mm -hmm. right? So we're, we have sophisticated uh, mechanics that say if this video player can't fetch a video segment in, say, 60 milliseconds or something like yeah. that from the theta network, then you can default back to your CDN right. so that 
on the player side, on the user's uh, player side, there's never any disruption to their video quality or their video viewing experience, right? Which is what these video platforms, that's their number one priority to, to keep their users happy, right? Yeah. Um, so on the, on the video platform side, if they're able to offload 40, 50, 60% of their bandwidth to the Theta Mesh network, then that's you know, a real tangible value proposition to them. Yeah. Uh, so that's our initial go-to-market, right? It's mm-hmm. to be the supplementary layer on top of their existing infrastructure. Yeah. And hopefully, you know, seven years, 10 years down the road, when we've really gotten critical mass right. of, of, you know, the Theta Mesh Network, then at that point we can start the conversation to go a fully decentralized route. Right, yeah, that fully decentralized route definitely requires a lot of, uh, social change management also, yeah. like adoption and things like that. Yeah. You, know, you kind of have to work with uh, the traditional systems. But again, like you said, you know, kind of working alongside them and not trying to completely wipe them out, right. at least in the beginning. Yeah, and, and like Tim said, it's just a pragmatic thing. Like if you're starting a DTube or, or it doesn't even need to be video, some fully decentralized system from day one, that's fine, but... It's just an absolute non-starter to go to a centralized service now and say in one fell swoop, get rid of all your existing infrastructure and plug in this uh, early stage new technology. That's just not how it works for a large enterprise. Yeah, Yeah, Uh, we think about this too in IOTech's world, kind of like a lot of our use cases have to do with like tracking and tracing things, right? Mm -hmm. So one solution if you wanted to track and trace all your assets is you can put sensors everywhere and Mm -hmm. kind of track and trace it for yourself, or you can use a FedEx API. Or like an yeah. easy post API, right? Where you just grab those data points, uh, but maybe secure them on the blockchain, right? Mm-hmm. It's like mm-hmm. uh, figuring out ways to mesh those two worlds together. Where, like, yeah. The most important um, and new technologies are happening on the blockchain, while you know, kind of supplementing what's going on in the real world. Right. Yeah. Right. You don't have to burn down the entire existing system just to, to yeah. add something new to it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Maybe in five, ten years, we'll burn down the <laughs> existing systems together, but. Uh, you guys mentioned this a little bit around like the demographics of streaming, like males 18 to 35 years mm-hmm. old, but kind of like where globally is streaming huge? I know you guys have a lot of partnership with Samsung and are very big in Korea. Um, mm-hmm. So talk to us more about like the, the global presence of streaming. Yeah, I mean, we talk uh, demographics like male, the typically younger demographics. Mm-hmm. That's more code to our esports application of Sliver TV, but of course streaming is, you know, ubiquitous. Every, everyone either is a creator or user or both of, of streaming content. Yeah. Um, it's pretty globally distributed throughout the developed world, but obviously hugely important markets to us are, are Korea, China, Japan. Yeah. Um, and a lot of that's due just because of the rate of adoption. Mm-hmm. Like by the time that um, mobile streaming uh, has become totally blanketed the U.S. Like we're already five years behind what's already been done, and you right. can see that even coming in new stages like 5G. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're having discussions about a couple of years having nationwide 5G when in Korea it's already being rolled out right now. Yeah, um, and so we—it's it, not that streaming is less common in other parts of the world, but mm-hmm. we're mostly focused in places where they're already taking the steps to lay out the infrastructure for what's coming. Right. It's also going back to that social change kind of thing. People are just more receptive to these new technologies and things like that. Yeah, um, yeah we haven't even touched on the fact that uh, in, in Korea at the enterprise level, the the level that they're embracing blockchain technology is like night and day compared to a lot of U.S. companies. Yeah. Now that's changing too, and we're starting to see a lot more uh, both in video streaming and in other enterprises in the U.S. that's changing, but... Certainly, um, you know, we, we focused a lot on Korea just because we've seen them even 
12, 18 months ago, we're already fully committing that they see this as transformative to a lot of their different business lines. Definitely, yeah. Korean kind of blockchain is very centered around enterprises. You have like all the big telcos have their mm -hmm. own kind of little blockchain teams. Uh, Kakao has their uh, Clayton blockchain mm -hmm. and all these different kind of, you know, big centralized institutions going down this kind of decentralized route. Um, how do you guys work with them? Like, what are those conversations? Uh, that's a great example, actually, because we recently announced that we're going to be launching a Sliver TV Korea mobile app mm -hmm. that's going to be built in conjunction with Clayton. That's awesome. So uh, you can think of it as uh, Theta is powering the streaming mm -hmm. underpinnings of this mobile app. But uh, at the app level, there's an engagement currency that will be powered by Clayton and their, their new token. So that's something that... You know, the the equivalent to cacao here in the U.S., they're taking yeah. steps to. They may see a big announcement coming from Facebook in the yeah, next yeah. couple of weeks. But yeah. but uh, cacao, Samsung, LG, these guys are already, you know, have a year or two ahead yeah. on these groups. Yeah. Right, right. And you ask about where is the state, what's the state of streaming right now, right? Yeah. Um, you just look at YouTube TV, right? Mm -hmm. The NBA Finals just finished, right? And right. I don't know if you guys watch, but like every single commercial is like sponsored by YouTube TV, I got sponsored my one by free trial. Right, right, right. Yeah, I watched all the finals on YouTube TV. So you yeah. see this big shift, right? Which is you're taking, or these companies are taking all their content that used to be distributed over digital and cable and over the air, yeah. and then it's all being shifted over to being delivered over IP, which is the internet, right? Yeah. Um, so you see, like, it's a, it's a fundamental shift, right? Mm -hmm. I think the stat is, what, like, right now about, like, 67% of all Internet traffic is video. And by 2022 or something like that, it'll be, like, 80 83% of all Internet traffic, right? Yeah. So mm -hmm. streaming is really a big use case across, you know, esports, across traditional media, mm -hmm. and, you know, all these sorts of emerging media as well, right? Yeah. VR, AR. Um, you know, 5G types of use cases. All of these things will have some form of uh, delivering their media over over the internet. Right. Yeah. yeah I'm glad, glad you brought up like 4G and 5G, and maybe this is a good chance to you know jump over to you know IoT and connectivity and its relationship mm -hmm. with streaming. I feel like mm -hmm. both of those are enabling factors, kind of vice versa, also, mm -hmm. right? The more advanced kind of IoT and edge computing gets, as well as different connectivity standards releasing, um, kind of it expands the possibilities of streaming and also kind of vice versa. Mm -hmm. uh, how do you guys see that relationship? And, you know, um, as IoT and um, connectivity advance, how does that kind of affect your, uh, your roadmap and your business priorities? Yeah, I'd say uh, IoT is a huge part of our, of our roadmap, right? So if you look at it right now, our uh, current use case is with live streaming, mm -hmm. and we're starting to, to handle video on demand. Um, on, we started with the PC web. Mm -hmm. uh, we also have a mobile SDK now, which we've been able to, it's an Android mobile SDK that we've been able to port onto other Android native devices, right? Uh, like the CJ viewing box. Yeah. Um, so the CJ viewing box is basically, think of it in terms of like an Apple TV or a Roku box, mm -hmm. um, but it's running the Android TV operating system. Mm -hmm. So we've been able to take what we coded up for, developed for the, the mobile uh, platform and then you know ported it over to a TV set top box. Yeah. Um, you know in the future, I think some people in our community have said that you know they've been able to run Theta on a small Raspberry Pi, right? Yeah. That's a you know the most common consumer IoT kind of device out there. Yeah. Um, and then in the future, you see. Uh, you know, a big use case will be, you know, these TV uh, set-top boxes and uh, also smart TVs, right? right. Um, it, smart TVs are basically like a mini computer now, right? You have uh, the, the RAM specifications, you know, most top-of-the-line uh, 
TV ship with, I think, four to six gigs of, of RAM. Um, and then local storage, I think the, the lower end ones ship with like 16 gigs. The higher end maybe shipped with like, you know, hundreds of gigs of, of, of local storage. Yeah. So then what you can do is you can contribute all of these hardware devices onto the Theta network. And mm-hmm. how often do you watch your TV, right? Maybe, you know, three, four or five hours. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, maybe a day, maybe two hours a day, maybe over the course of a week, a little bit more than that. Yeah. The point is it's uh, it's an idle uh, resource that's sitting there most of the time. Yeah. So when it's not being used, and even when it is being used, mm-hmm. you know, what if we could, and it's got all the necessary uh, prerequisite specs that, you know, would, you know, function as a node on the Theta network. Yeah. So we could just take that, and then you could be earning passive income that way, right? Earning passive Theta tokens in, in, in return for having your device on the Theta network. That's a really good point. I feel like when I watch TV now, I'm not even watching TV. I'm watching <laughs> YouTube on my TV. Yeah. Or like Netflix on my TV, right? So yeah. is, is TV actually just going to go away, do you think? Or like, with like as, as all this stuff advances, right? Like, Connectivity gets cheaper. These smart TVs get cheaper. Streaming gets cheaper. Yeah, in the very traditional sense, yeah. like the the linear broadcast. I don't know about go away, but it's definitely transforming. Yeah. You know, it's. I think the market already is kind of spoken as consumers have shown which they which model they prefer. Yeah. Um, and it, going along with that, it's all moving to IPTV because of that. So it, pretty much any new video platform or a new streaming service that's coming out, it's one that's moving in a way that can benefit from all these connected devices. Right. I don't think we're going backward toward uh, the, the traditional broadcast yeah. method. No, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, just touching on that CJ viewing box, you know, I think mm-hmm. the set-top boxes are really interesting. They're just like mini computers, right? Right. They can mm-hmm. be full nodes on the blockchain. Yeah. You know, we've heard of like a lot of different use cases. Uh, streaming, you know, authenticating these things. Um, even you know, taking it with you. When I was a consultant, I used to bring mm-hmm. my fire stick and just plug it into the hotel, mm-hmm. and it would c- carry my preferences over. Yeah. And I feel like doing that in a more decentralized fashion, sharing what you watch um, for compensation to like advertisers, things like that, really flipping the model. But mm-hmm. what kind of use cases in the future, you know, outside of streaming, do you see, or you know, kind of tangential even to to streaming, do you see with these set top boxes? Yeah, we think about a lot of different things beyond that. Even though we started video streaming in large part just because it makes up a, such a significant amount of internet traffic, like yeah. we talked about. But there's a lot of data delivery uh, use cases that meet a lot of the same characteristics if mm-hmm. we're talking about concurrent users. Um, like we think a lot about game updates. Mm-hmm. Uh, like if a new Fortnite patch goes out, um, there's no reason for millions of different players to all download it from a centralized server if yeah. they're clustered in areas where they are because, um, first of all, it, it tends to be they're all downloading around the same time. Mm-hmm. You know, a new patch comes out, 75% of the users are going to get it within a day or so. So you have that, right. uh, that high-density peer-to-peer network yeah. potential. Um, and on top of that, you're storing it on your device already. Mm-hmm. So then you don't even have to think about extra storage space to, to cache this because it's already being saved on there just by virtue of needing to run the game. So so what you're saying is kind of like people would, or a first critical mass of people would download the patch yes. from the centralized server and then almost like a, 
a BitTorrent model where you just kind of seed it to people around you. It's literally yeah. on your phone, right? right. And that's how you're able to use it. So, mm-hmm. you know, you could take that. And the, the thing about the use case that Wes is describing is that there's no time sensitivity, right? Yeah. When you're live streaming something, the, the video segments have to be downloaded one by one and stitched together in order. Yeah. But with a game patch or, you know, a, a video advertisement or something like that, when there's no real-time requirement, it can be done over the course of an entire night or something like that, right? right? If it's like... 20 gigs or 30 gigs or something like that. Yeah. The point is uh, the the data can be downloaded out of order and then restitched together, yeah. reformatted together. Um, so that's a really compelling use case that is definitely somewhere down the road and it's on our roadmap. Yeah, it's like yeah. breaking humans down to atoms and putting them back together. Yeah, I mean, we think it's not even um, that alien a concept. It sounds like it is, but you know, BitTorrent's been in use for years. It's, it's yeah. really almost more of a just a, a go-to-market that's different because we're working right. directly with the content providers or the hardware manufacturers to do this in a way that actually is a legitimate business case right. and is done through the, the people that are providing the data that's doing it. But it's not as uh, far off as it sounds. You know, it's technically yeah. sound. Right. Yeah, yeah. So the use cases all make sense, right? Um, what about the business case? So all these things that we're talking about, how does it really mm-hmm. transform the landscape, right? Is it revenue generating? Is it cost saving? Or is it kind of protecting against these like tail end uh, insurance kind of things? Like, how would you mm-hmm. summarize what the opportunities in the near term are, at least for the, the answer side? to the question is yes, right? <laughs> you know, so uh, I think the, the first thing we can demonstrate to our partners is the cost savings component, right? Yeah. It's a very tangible, uh, quantifiable first step, right? Mm-hmm. So we can uh, go to, um, you know, say, uh, you know, Samsung VR and say, hey, you know, Samsung VR, we can offload 40 to 50% of your uh, of your video bandwidth that you're delivering, right? Which is costly to them because it's, it's quite a lot, especially 360 VR. Yeah. And then that's kind of the first step. And they'll say, okay, like, you know, we'll do the integration. The integration is not, you know, a long drawn out process. It's pretty short. Mm-hmm. And then those, we can prove that out over the course of a couple of weeks or a month, right? right? And then after that, the next step after is, okay, we've realized the cost savings, mm-hmm. but what more can we do, right? Cost savings is nice, but what's more compelling than cost savings is driving incremental revenue. So when you have these tokens that our users are, or Samsung VR's users are able to earn, or CJ's viewers are able to earn, Mm -hmm. what do they do with them? Of course, they can take them to an exchange and then just exchange it for fiat currency. Mm -hmm. But if you're earning it on the platform and you enjoy interacting and engaging with the platform, Mm -hmm. then there's a chance for these platforms to, you know, put premium products and services in front of you and kind of uh, you know, make it interesting for you to purchase them with the tokens that you've earned, right? Yeah. And perhaps uh, some it's some sort of subsidization, right? So mm-hmm. say you earn $2 worth of tokens and a movie costs $4 or $5, mm-hmm. then uh, you weren't willing to pay the $5 up front, but mm-hmm. with $3 worth of tokens and you just pay $2 for the movie, mm-hmm. that's still an incremental revenue increase for Amazon Prime, for instance, right? Yeah. So that's really uh, a really interesting use case. The other thing what we've seen on Sliver TV is that um, we've seen drastic increases in uh, average engagement, so average session times. Um, you know, you can obviously tell that uh, one of our 
competitors uh, or is, is Twitch, right? Mm -hmm. They're much bigger, uh, but we think we have some interesting mechanics there that can you know, really prove this concept out. Mm -hmm. And so we've seen 2.5 to 3x, so triple the average session times Wow. Um, compared yeah. to what, mm -hmm. what Twitch is uh, seeing with their users. I think they're seeing somewhere around 90 minutes on average per day per user. Yeah. Um, on our channels with T-Fuel activated, if you're, earn, if you're able to earn T-Fuel, mm -hmm. it's more in the range of like 250 minutes, right, to 270 right. minutes, right. which is really compelling if you can you know, go to a corporate partner and say, we'll increase your engagement by 3x. Yeah, yeah so what do you attribute that kind of increase in engagement to? Is it kind of the natural uh, kind of things you built into the platform that make it easier for people to talk to each other or is it the concept that you're making the passive revenue or again kind of both right yeah uh, i think it's both because when you actually look at that um you know you can think of it as the past sliver model before the introduction of theta to the network and even now some of the channels as they're being migrated over there's still some that are not powered by theta mm -hmm. um and you can see the jump from say twitch session time to Sliver's traditional model mm -hmm. to when you add Theta Network to it, and it's even more so uh, that these session times are extended. So I think part of it's kind of the more engaging um, platform model, yeah. but part of it's also the monetary benefit to it. I mean, I mean of course, that's yeah. why we think uh, adding a token incentive is so transformative here is that people respond to economic incentives, mm -hmm. and we're seeing it you know, in real time. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. No, that's super interesting. So that's a lot about the present of streaming. Let's jump into kind of the future, right? So. Sure. Um, some big news from you guys a couple months ago. You guys launched your mainnet. Yeah. yeah. Congrats on that. Thank you. One of many in March and April. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It seems like a mainnet heaven for <laughs> we a lot were, of folks. Yeah, we were all yeah. in the same kind of cohort there. Yeah, but you guys had a great launch and, you know, are working on a number of things post-mainnet. You want to talk a little bit about your post-mainnet roadmap? Yeah. So on the technical side of things, um, we're mostly focused on Q3 of this year when we're launching uh, our Guardian node functionality, which is sort of the second line of, of defense and consensus mm -hmm. for us. And the, it first being the first being uh, validator nodes that are uh, right. just quick breakdown of it. So a smaller set of Guardian uh, validator nodes that are run by Theta now and soon spreading out to our first third-party uh, validators, which we're excited to announce um, Hopefully, first one by end of this month, um, but uh, several in the next coming months. Mm -hmm. um, and then the Guardian node set, which is the, the hundreds and thousands of, of community-run nodes that participate in block finalization. So right. both important parts of consensus, but this is the latter especially important so that the community actually has a, a stake in governance. Yeah. Um, and it's very important for us to, to get to that point where... You know, in the early stages where Theta Labs obviously has an outsized stay, outsized uh, say in how protocol development happens, but that's uh, that's not a permanent situation, and we're excited to get to a point even uh, to later this year, where um, all the community signed Theta has a direct uh, vote in governance of the protocol. Yeah, that's a big step for sure, mm -hmm. and I think one that a lot of projects are definitely starting to introduce. Mm -hmm. But you know, that's that's really a tricky one if you're trying to decentralize these. Uh, upgrade proposals and things like that has to be kind of uh, yeah make sure that people can't game the system too much right yeah I'm sorry it's a it's a trade off and we've you know we've always said that our uh, our plan is to to essentially decentralize over time mm -hmm. um, and not from day one and I think that kind of dovetails into our approach like we've said with with enterprises too we see it as a yeah. as a an incremental process not a day one 
it's a choice. I mean, there's obviously a legitimate projects that have done it otherwise, but we think that's what will be most beneficial for this network. Yeah, in the long run, for sure. I think, you know, getting that initial marketing buzz, you know, we see a lot of mm-hmm. enterprise announcements that seem a little sketchy, to mm-hmm. put it nicely. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, <laughs> yeah. establishing the real business case and pushing that forward is, you know, what the solid projects are trying to do yeah, yeah. What, what else would you say about the postman and roadmap i'd say you know we're working hard with our partners right mm-hmm. um so a lot of the partners that we've been uh, beta testing with on testnet mm-hmm. uh they all have slightly different use cases they're all they all fall under the ge- general umbrella of video streaming mm-hmm. but like i mentioned samsung vr which does 360 vr streaming is different from cj hello which does uh you know they have an ott app mm-hmm. uh, a video streaming app in their uh their set top box and they also have this uh, CJ shopping channel. So think of that in terms of QVC, what we have here, right? So slightly different use cases, and then that under what underpins that is the business case itself, right? So once these users start earning these tokens, what do they do with them? How do they spend them? How what are the ways that we allow them to spend it on? Yeah. Um, and then also, I think a big aspect of that uh, to get in the nitty gritty a little bit more is you know fraud detection and fraud prevention as well, right? Because yeah. now that everything is on the mainnet, uh, it's not just about you know the test net was about how do we you know. Uh, improve and fine-tune our protocol so that the consensus works but then now it's kind of like now that the users are able to earn these real theta tokens that can be ported over to the exchanges and they have real world value to them you know we have to be able to make sure that this protocol is robust enough so that it doesn't get gamed right it doesn't you know you can't have some malicious actors spin up um realistically like 10,000 nodes and then right. kind of like milk all the all the tokens out right yeah. it's very crucial to you know, i think establishing a long-term kind of uh utility for the actual theta protocol yeah we experienced mm-hmm. the same thing like post mainnet we launched our delegated proof of stake program and mm-hmm. you know once you like, have those live economics and you have delegates getting real rewards and you have delegates paying voters those real rewards then it kind of you know it puts a lot more skin in the game yeah it's less testnet theoretical kind of things traded on exchanges but it's more you know kind of yeah committing yourself to this network and getting returns passively right from it right? and and you know it's more of an incentive for malicious actors to kind of like you know step up their game a little bit more also yeah. right so in return we have to kind of preempt that and yeah. you know put these Defensive mechanisms in, right? Yeah, the scammers are getting more and more sophisticated. I don't know if you guys... It's a constant okay. battle. I mean, yeah. well, on, along, we're talking more about, uh, like, maliciously spinning up nodes to yeah. to share bandwidth with fake users to get things, but yeah. in, in every way, the scammers are relentless. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I've seen a few fake accounts of myself. It's kind of flattering. Oh, yeah. But, uh, I've been getting a lot of that, really too. It's weird as well. There's a fake... There's plenty of fake Wes's out there, fake Mitch's. Yeah. Um, they, they're faking all our... Even the bots in the Delgado channel. To, yeah. Yeah, it's unfortunate because, you know, I do think that it's a, it's a constant drag on new people getting into the space because every time someone comes in and gets taken advantage of, you can see why that might leave a bad taste in someone's mouth and write off this whole crypto thing to begin with. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So people learn after one kind of experience with that, but it's all the fake Wes's and Tim's. <laughs> Stop doing what you're doing. Seriously. Yeah. Let's talk even more to the future, right? So imagine that, you know, uh, sliver and theta really evolve and you know cut latency in half, mm-hmm. um, cut costs in half, right? And all the things that you're trying to really accomplish come true. Mm-hmm. What does the world look like after that? 
Yeah, so um, certainly if we can cut costs in half for all this delivery, it's uh, it's beneficial to, uh, to any streaming platform or any business that's delivering data. Mm -hmm. um, but we actually think the more transformative part is not really saving costs. It's, it's activating this network mm -hmm. of unused devices contributing to this network and being incentivized for it. Mm -hmm. And the way that behavior changes where you don't think of a hardware device as like a sunk cost, right. you know, that's something that can almost become a... Uh, pay for itself or revenue generating. Yeah. So, yeah, the cutting costs is in, in a lot of ways just the, the short-term hook, but it's what happens when you actually get all these users with aligned interests contributing to this network where things get really exciting. Right. And in the short, short long-term, I guess you could call it, is, you know, the the companies that adopt this kind of approach first, right, will have some sort of competitive edge, right? Alluding to the point that Wes just mentioned, right? Mm -hmm. If you buy this uh, TV box, right, and the payback period is nine to 12 months, right? Then, of, and then on top of that, after the nine to 12 months, then the right. user generates passive income, mm -hmm. right? Whether it's seven, 10, $15 a month or something like that. Yeah. It's still, you know, it, it's still compelling to the user to buy this, um, and it's a differentiating aspect compared to what uh, another competitor would have, right? Which is just you buy your TV box for seventy dollars and you use it, right? Yeah. Um, you know, all thing, all other things considered, even in terms of content, in terms of you know interactivity and engagement on these two services, right? Yeah. Like you're definitely more inclined to have a user that you know will buy something that will pay back itself, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's something we're excited for as well. Like we have a big project launching soon. It's called Avo Board. Mm -hmm. It's kind of our uh, first developer board in-house hardware. Mm -hmm. And it doubles as a development board, but it's also, when it's idle, um, it has like the certain amount of trusted computing bandwidth, which mm -hmm. is the thing that can power like privacy computation. Sure, so sure. Mm -hmm. issuing that out so that people that don't even own this device can tap into it. And people that own the device can make their own kind of returns and even pay back the cost of that device over time. Right. There's a lot Absolutely. of different models like this, right? Like starting kind of from Filecoin, mm -hmm. yeah. like if you have extra storage, um, you know, lend it out. But storage is more of a commodity these days, mm -hmm. and so is kind of like Wi-Fi and even like long-range, low-power, like mm -hmm. LoRa connectivity. Mm -hmm. But I think, what are your thoughts on that? Like, is is that a model that will work if the supply of something is too big? then the demand side is less so, or is it just kind of cutting the margins lower and lower and lower and lower and making it almost kind of um, a global resource that people can tap into? Yeah, generally speaking, obviously, if supply is just in the broad sense outstripping demand, then that's it's mm -hmm. going to commoditize itself. But there's been a couple times before where this has happened where it seemed like as a threat to streaming, like compression is the big one that... Um, mm -hmm. One of our advisors, Kyle Okamoto, that was uh, at Verizon for a long time, told us about that. It was seen as a, a bad thing for CDNs because if you compress the amount of data, mm -hmm. then in nominal terms, there's less data by the byte being moved sense. through, so that hurts their, uh, their revenue. But the reality, it doesn't play out like that. All right. it did was enable... Uh, More data to be sent through the existing exactly. infrastructure. Exactly, higher right? definition video yeah. or, or just different use cases that weren't possible because yeah. uh, it's, it's less expensive now. Right. Um, so we see it the same way. Like there's always going to be efficiency gains made there, mm -hmm. um, but demand for streaming video and data in general is, is increasing at a faster pace. Yeah. Like, I mean, you can just know that uh, generally. I think the amount of data generated in the last 
something like two to three years is equal to all of the data generated in history prior to that. Yeah, that's crazy. Like, and, uh, and, and we have kind of a, a very personal connection to that when we were pushing VR video from our early days with Sliver. We realized just how much more data is, no pun intended, but coming down the pipeline. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think there are a number of really interesting use cases that are kind of on the horizon related to streaming and video and blockchain as well that mm-hmm. we um, are not focusing entirely on right now, right? And uh, a few use cases include uh, digital rights management, mm-hmm. right? So uh, the media industry as a whole is really invested in you know anti-piracy, anti-counterfeiting, right? Yeah. So digital rights management. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we can do on the blockchain is even on our, our, our Explorer right now, you have these video IDs, right? Mm-hmm. Of uh, th- that are connected to a transaction, right? Mm-hmm. So what that enables us to do is basically trace one video segment back to its inception, its point of origin, mm-hmm. right? So that you know you you know exactly where this video stream and this video segment came from, right? Yeah. The point of origin from there. Um, so that really harp, helps in terms of like, it's called digital watermarking, right? Mm-hmm. You know exactly where it came from. So there's no... Anywhere it shows up, you kind of automate yeah. the payments associated with that. Even. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And another thing that we can do with these video IDs is basically have uh, more interesting kinds of business models in terms of uh, really granular pay per view, right? Mm-hmm. So right now right. you can say, oh, I want to watch a boxing match that's on HBO and I can buy it for like twelve ninety nine or something like that. Yeah. In the future, it can be, I want to watch, you know, 30 minutes or 20 minutes of this show. Mm-hmm. And then because the blockchain, uh, you know, records every video segment that's been uh, relayed over to you, mm-hmm. then, uh, and then it appends it with a microtransaction, then we can charge you by even the second of how much video that you can consume, right? Yeah. So instead of uh, a monthly subscription where you're paying $15, it could be you watch three and a half hours of this video and uh, from this one service and you maybe pay 250 or something like that, right? Yeah. I yeah. think the world is ready for that. I think I am, right? Like I looked at all my mm-hmm. monthly subscriptions and it's just stacking up. <laughs> you know, I can check yeah. one off because I don't need HBO now that Game of Thrones is over. Right, right. But like, you know, you have you have all of them, whether they're like sh- little shared family accounts or something. So is lot. that all you think is going to start to change as well? Like more pay-per-views and... Yeah, yeah. I don't think the subscription model is going to go away, but we're already getting to a point where people have subscription fatigue with five different video streaming services with your Netflix and your Hulu and your HBO Mm -hmm. and you know Disney's got one coming down the pipeline I think CBS has their own Um, it's just more and more and no one's going to pay $10 for all of those so you're either going to have to pick and choose and then you're back in the same problem you had with the cable TV where you have the packages you pick um, or, or it just moves to a, a you know an a la carte style where you actually can just consume the content you want at a very granular level. Yeah, I'm excited to see more of the, like the P2P content sharing uh, mm-hmm. thing come to life too. Not just like streaming themselves playing video games or um, streaming you know live sports events or things like that, but also yeah. it gives people the chance. Like I feel like for content creators, one of the things they really search for is validation mm-hmm. or like. Yeah, validation that what they built is great. Yeah, like even people posting all this uh, content on Instagram, not necessarily monetizing it, but just trying to get that um, self-validation for right. themselves. Right. And the blockchain allows exactly that. Right. Yeah. It allows the content creator to receive the proper attribution. Right. Yeah, because the middlemen taking thirty percent off the top. Yeah. If yeah. there's a resource ID appended to everything that the content creator actually produces, and then I'm consuming something with that video ID, then mm-hmm. that basically, uh, you know, 
the attribution goes from him to me directly, right? And then I'm able to say, hey, if I'm consuming this, then out of you know my goodwill, I'm able to donate X Y Z amount, you know, just for supporting this content creator, right? right? Yeah, yeah, it really unleashes a lot of new models, you know, not just reducing costs, but creating all these new engagement and business models. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we found users are are very generous with uh, what they're earning for what. I think a lot of people, even though it's their resources, the fact that it's kind of a sunk cost to you that you paid for this bandwidth connection, yeah. what you're earning for contributing that bandwidth to the network, you almost think of as like uh, house money. You're like, of course I'll right. donate half to the content creator because I like that content, whereas yeah. you're probably not going to have that behavior if you have to pull a couple bucks out of your pocket or whip out the credit card right. and do it. Or you may, but fewer. Yeah. Right. Whereas uh, when you think of it as just... Uh, you know, something you contributed to the network, you got this back, yeah. and now you'll donate some of it back to it, you don't feel like you really gave anything up. Right. I agree, for sure. No, that's a lot to think about, and I think, um, you know, really great session. Um, yeah. I always like to close these with, you know, one bold c- prediction about what crypto <laughs> world is going to be like one year from now. Yeah, what, what's the world going to look like? Uh, I, I will go back to... Uh, I'll not go... Uh, not be cheap and just say something about Theta and Pump Our Project, but... Uh, <laughs> Um, going back to going back to the Facebook uh, announcement, I think right. they're going to launch in early 2020. You're already starting to see kind of a, uh, two camps forming, where some people think because Facebook and validators with Visa and Uber and all yeah. these jumping in the space, it must be good for for the crypto space. Yeah. But um, you know that's definitely not a foregone conclusion. Like this could be a, a Trojan horse in a lot of ways if you wake up one day and realize that. Yeah. One company down the street from us right now is controlling the yeah. financial transactions of, of billions of people. So it starts off it too. starts off as you know great for adoption, but you know you may actually see people a lot a lot of people reinforcing their belief in Bitcoin because it's not controlled by one corporation. It goes against the decentralization aspect of it, but I think you know to the the, the more traditional players in the world, right? I think there's some legitimacy that accompanies this kind of large project, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 Definitely. Yeah. I, I mean I was with a couple of friends just uh, you know, yesterday and, you know, they're 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 all bankers or, you know, the more traditional guys and they're like, No, I don't I, I still don't believe in Bitcoin. I still don't believe in in in, in, in crypto. And you know, I, I understand where they're coming from right. as well, but I think with the more legitimate uh, large corporations kind of moving into this space, um, that kind of, and, and, and building out a, an actual use case for it, right? Then I think slowly it, it'll come about. Yeah, it will bring that credibility. I've got a family member who thinks I lost my damn mind by going from finance into the <laughs> blockchain space. So yeah. I'm definitely going to use this to say, see, I'm not the only <laughs> one here. Look, look at all these companies you've heard of. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, we'll, we'll track that closely. And we'll also yeah. track what you guys are doing closely. Thanks so much for stopping by. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having streaming, us. And uh, definitely stay tuned for some cool Iotex and Theta collaborations in the future. Yeah. Thanks, thanks. guys.